Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brad. Thank you for two of you. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Copper Hills, and I'm so glad to welcome you this morning. Welcome to our friends online, wherever you are watching from, whether it's live or later this week. Uh, we're glad to be able to be together this way, though we would love to be in person for sure. Um, hey, this week, there's something really cool happening for our students. 50 of our students and 15 of their leaders are headed off to a week-long camp in Flagstaff. And that's a really, really cool thing. And I'm asking whether you would pray for them. But here's what I would ask. Don't pray for their safety. I mean, do, okay? Man, that's important, but it's not the most important thing. It is this, that they would each encounter, not just experience, not just have emotions toward, but encounter the living Savior, Jesus the King, the King of Kings, that they would each personally experience who he is and encounter the reality of what he's for. You know, it's, it's such a cool thing when you think about these high school students going to camp. Some of us came to faith in Jesus later in life, and that's wonderful too. But these kids, if they'll really grasp who Christ is and what he wants to do in their lives at this age, they're, they're going to lead the church going forward. They're going to make a difference in this kingdom in ways that, well, some of us regret we missed out on in some of that because we didn't come to faith a little later. So would you earnestly pray for these students and these leaders this week? Now, if you have like a shortened memory like I do, okay, remind, put a reminder on your phone, maybe each morning or each afternoon so that you, like we actually do this and stand with them and then let's watch what Jesus does. All right, okay, cool. Um, so we're gonna carry on this morning with this series, uh, taking a look at some of the stories that Jesus told. Now, these are not just like ordinary stories. Jesus always had some kind of a truth that he wanted to impart to people. And he thought, I think people are gonna grasp this if I can put that truth in a context where they can see it happening every day, and they'll go, oh, I get what you're talking about. That was the whole idea behind it. Now, some of these are a little harder for us because we're in a different era, in a different country, a different time. They're a little harder to grasp. So what we've tried to do is take these stories and apply them into our world today. And we're going to do that once again. So if you want to turn to your paper Bible, there are some of those still. Uh, to Luke 16, or click on to your electronic Bible to Luke 16, we're going to look at what Jesus tells in this story. Now, uh, it's an interesting thing. It is a, a story about uh, possessions and money and so on. And the moment I say that, some people are saying, why did we come this morning? Right? Relax. We're okay. It's all right. The reason you might feel that is because from time to time, the church has earned a reputation when it talks about funds and money as a coy, as a sly way of saying, give. Give more. Give more than that. Do you know that Jesus speaks about money in 16 of these 35 or 40 stories? Not once does he ask for it. Not once. Now, he's after something, but he's not after our money. And so relax. If you've ever been taught that, that's not exactly the core of what life in his kingdom is all about. And Jesus tells these stories so that we'll grasp what life in his kingdom, where he gets his say, actually happens. And it is a life-giving, amazing, absolutely stunning place to live with Jesus. Okay, so 
uh, this last week as part of introduction to this, every once in a while, someone will ask me a question that causes me to really think and to not just in the conversation, but afterwards kind of sticks with me. Has that ever happened to you? And you keep coming back to that question. Well, somebody asked me a question a week, 10 days ago, something like that. And this is the question that they asked me. If your money could talk to you, what would it say? What do you think it would say? Well, I guess it depends on what relationship we have with money, right? It could be that money would go, we're such good friends. I love doing life with you. Like, I know I'm not life, but I, you know, I can be an end to, to a means and Jesus is the means, but wow, like it's, it's so cool to make a difference in the world together with you. Or it might be that money would come along and go, like, there's not enough of me. You need more of me. But the thing is, oftentimes, the more we have of it, the more it takes of us. You ever notice that? And so I guess the answer to the question, and this is something you can talk around lunch today or in your life group, wherever you want, but it kind of stuck with me the last 10 days just to thinking, what, what would my, my money say to me? And so, uh, again, if money is, uh, is a tyrant in your life and uh, demands of you, You approach the stories that Jesus tells about money one way. But if money is a friend and possessions are a joy and they provide delight in life, but don't kind of control the deal, you approach it differently. So the writer of the book of Luke, Dr. Luke, who's an eyewitness to Jesus' life, tells a number of these stories. And the one that we want to look at is from Luke 16. And this is how he starts it off. Something has triggered Jesus' thought on this subject matter. There's no run-up to it. It just starts this way. Jesus told his disciples. Now, these are the, you know, the 12 buddies that he is with them, but also some groupies that followed him around. So he's talking to them, and it's more like a locker room talk. It's like, here's, here's the, you know, the, the, the core facts. He said, here, I want to tell you a story. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. A little bit of context. You're going to find out a little bit that uh, he's this guy, this rich guy, is either owns a large farm or has a food distribution warehouse, but it's a big business deal. The kind of dollars that he's trading in, it's a pretty significant business. And evidently, he discovers that one of his key managers is doing something unscrupulous with his money and his resources. Now, whether he did an audit and he found it, or maybe one of the other employees came along and snitched and said, hey, you know what so-and-so is doing? Whatever it is, he discovers that something nefarious is going on with this manager. So this is what he does. He says, so Jesus says he called him in and the rich guy, the rich manager or the rich owner of the business asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. So we don't know exactly what's going on in Jesus' mind. Maybe at this point, the, there's an audit that's going to happen, and they're going to find out whether or not it really is as bad as what he's heard, or maybe the, the details need to come out. But it appears that this owner of this business is going to give this crooked manager a little bit of time to sort it out. But if it turns out, in fact, that it is as bad as it sounds something bad is going to happen to this guy. So you can't be my manager any longer. So the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? Now, I've got to pause for a second. If you want to underline now, that's actually an important little word in that because he's, he's thinking, this is imminent. I have a limited amount of time to address this. 
and a limited opportunity, I better get at this right away. So I've got to figure this out right now because this is all going to close in on me. What am I going to do? My master's taking my job. I'm not strong enough to dig because in this culture of that day, uh, if you owed somebody some money and you didn't have a way of paying it back, you remained their kind of indentured economic slave not slaves the way we think of it maybe, but you, you would work for them in whatever capacity they wanted to work till you paid down the debt. And this guy's a white collar guy. He, he's not working out in the fields. That's just not his thing. Nor is he going to go beg. He's just too proud to do that. So he's on the horns of a dilemma here and he comes up with an idea. He says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. And he gets this idea. It's a clever idea, isn't it? What if I could work this deal a little bit, turn lemons into lemonade, and find a way that when I leave, because it's all going to come clear, I'm going to get fired, I'm done, it's, but I could ha- like land softly. There's no social safety net, but he's going to try to create one himself. Not bad thinking, right? Because he's going to need some help. So this is what he comes up with. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. Now, the way Jesus tells the story is you could infer this, Jesus will give us two examples, but you could infer from it, he invited several, many, all of his debtors. But here are just two examples. So the first one, he says, how much do you owe my master? And the guy says this, he says, well, I owe 900 gallons of olive oil. Did a little market research this last Wednesday, that's about $14,000 at the current rate that olive oil trades in. You needed to know that. Uh, so he says, hey, look it, I know you owe the 14000 in olive oil, but tell you what, take your bill and sit down quickly, quickly, because he might come back. So really quickly, like we've got limited time, limited opportunity, do that really quickly. And I'm going to give you a 50% discount on it, right? Like your 14 is now seven. That's good news. If, like if you're in debt right now, you're thinking what I would do if the business, the bank, the loan shark that I owe money to would just cut my debt in half. That would be really good, right? Well, you can see where this is going. He calls a second guy in, and this is what happens. He said, then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he says. Mark it again, that's about $10,000. And he's going to give him a 20% discount. Take your bill and make it 800. Okay, now, you got to stop and think about this for just a second. How do you feel about that? Is that cool? Is that good? good strategy to go about? Well, it depends if you're the one that owes the money. How many of you, if your bank called you tomorrow and said, hey, that $300,000 mortgage, one fifty. Are you in? Would you do it? I guess so. You might ask a few questions because no bank ever does that, right? But yeah, for sure. And you're looking at this and you're looking at the guy that does it and goes, I know that like you cheated and you're a bit of a scoundrel, but like that's it's really not a bad idea because I benefit from it. Now, if you're the business owner, you're going, I hope that I hope they nail the crook. Like you shouldn't do that. Like that's that's fraud. You can't do that. Like you, you gotta pay a price for that. And I hope the way this story works is that he ends up in jail, or I hope they take all his stuff or something. It depends how you look at it, right? Depends on how you look at possessions too, whether they matter a whole lot or they don't matter. This is how you view it differently. So what is this manager going to do? Or what is this owner going to do when he finds out what has happened? First of all, he got cheated on the front end, which created somebody coming to him and telling him, hey, somebody's cheating you. And then he gets double-crossed again by the same guy. He's really lost a lot. 
What's he going to do? Well, this is what happens. The master, what? How would you finish it? Here's our problem, okay? If you hung around the church any length of time and you've read this, you know how this goes. It's an unexpected response. It's not what you expect unless you know the story and then you yawn and you go, well, I know how that ends. But if you can suspend that for a little bit, okay, how would you finish it? Would you say, okay, so the master calls him in now the second time and now it's payday. The master decided that he was going to move forward with a lawsuit and take all of this guy's possessions so that he would get paid back. Or, oh, because we know these stories that Jesus tells, they're really meant for us to put ourselves in the story and figure out who God is in the story. Well, it's logical to think that God is the rich owner, right? Well, who am I then? (laughs) Am I the crook? Oh my goodness, if that's the case, if that's what Jesus is driving at, that he's God and I've squandered his stuff and it's payday, I hope it ends this way. The master invited me in and he forgave me. And he said, it's all okay. I know you didn't mean it. I know that it's, you know, it's tough life and I, I get it. It's all forgiven. So how's it end? Well, this is the surprising part. This is what this master does. It says the master commended the dishonest manager. If you don't know the story, you don't expect that. That is not the answer you expect. In fact, on the surface, it it isn't even fully clear if you just read it that way. You have to go back behind the scenes a little bit and look at the tonage of the word that Jesus used to describe that he commended the dishonest manager. It's like this. Wow, that's fantastic. How did you think of that? That's incredible. Way to go. I would never have thought of doing something like that. (laughs) That's stellar. Awesome. You wouldn't expect that, right? But that's what this owner says to this master who's ripped them off a couple of times. He says, that is amazing. Way to go. I commend you for that. Commend you for what, however? Commend you for the dishonesty? Well, Jesus wouldn't do that, would he? If he's putting himself in the story? No, he talks about judgment and he talks about mercy and judgment. Like, he wouldn't do that. So what's, what's the rich owner commending the crooked manager for? Well, this is what he's commending him for. He's commending him for his shrewdness, that he was shrewd. Okay, but he was dishonest as well. Hold on just a second. Do you know what shrewd means? In our planning for this weekend, I was reading the story and one of the guys on our service planning team said, well, what, is, what does shrewd mean? I'm not sure I understand exactly what shrewd means. And so we did a little bit of defined shrewd around the room. And the general idea was, well, it's something mischievous or it's cunning or it's uh, something that takes advantage of somebody else. It's a negative. It's a dark cloud around this word. And that's actually how it's typically used in our culture today. That is not how it was used in Jesus' day. It wasn't a negative thing. It was a really positive thing. In Jesus' day, the, the definition of shrewd was this. It's somebody who's able to look at a situation, quickly understand what's going on, and then make a really intelligent choice how to take advantage of that situation for themselves. Okay? It's just being able to analyze quickly because there's limited time and limited opportunity. Look at it, make a really wise choice. This is what I should do as a result of that. And then they do it. 
It's actually a good thing, isn't it? And this is what Jesus tells in this story. He tells a story of this rich business owner who gets ripped off by this manager. And this manager understands the situation, makes some choices that benefit himself. And the manager comes along going, I would never have thought of that. Way to go. And then Jesus finishes the parable. That's it. The parable's done. And we're left to kind of figure it out. But fortunately, Jesus begins to explain a little bit of what he's talking about. The very next verse, he says this. He says, for the people of this world, now he's trying to explain what he just said, are more shrewd in their dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. Okay, they're shrewd, but who are these people of this world and who are people of light? Okay, timing on this one matters. So Jesus has not yet died on a cross and come back to life. So it's not people who are followers of Jesus and people who are not followers of Jesus. See, that that hasn't happened yet. So take it before that, who's he referring to? Well, people of this world were people who didn't have God in their life. People who lived for themselves. People who made decisions and choices about what they were going to do in life and took advantage of their own opportunities. And they just didn't include God in it. Like the, the Roman, the Greeks that occupied the country. Their motto in life was eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die because there is no life after death. It's just this world. So just enjoy the world. Do everything you can to accumulate what you can accumulate so you can enjoy it while you're here because when the lights go out, it's all over. And Jesus is saying, people like that, they're really shrewd with their stuff. They accumulate and they acquire and they build their wealth because they're going to enjoy it here, right? Well, then who are the people of light? If they're not followers of Jesus, well, they're followers of God. And in most cases, Jesus, when he says that, or other writers, they refer to the Jewish people who had God in their world. However, their point of view as it related to their possessions and their money and so on was this. There's the law of Moses that governs everything we do. And so I know I have to give God 10%. The law says I have to do that. Whether I want to or not, I'm giving it because I don't want to tick God off. I want his blessing. I want his favor. So I give 10%. And then there were a bunch of other laws that were about the first produce that I give. I have to give that to God. I have to give a shekel every year to God when I go to the temple. A whole bunch of other religious sacrificial things that required giving And the reason I give is not because I want to necessarily. It's because I'm told to. And if I don't, I have the wrath of God on my shoulders. And what Jesus is saying, did you know that people, when it comes to possessions who are people of the world, are more shrewd with what they have than people who say they believe in God and just do because they're supposed to or they're afraid God's going to get them if they don't. Now, that's an interesting take, isn't it? So Jesus apparently, in the crowd around him, is concerned that some people just give by rote, by routine, by obligation, by expectation, or they give because they're afraid something bad's going to happen. And he says, that's not very shrewd. That's not thinking at all. 
That's not being really, really creative with what you... However, on the other side, people who do everything for themselves, they're really really shrewd in what they do. So who would we be? Where do we land on that one? I think Jesus is asking this in a question, in a way. Think about where you would be on that. So then he leaves it there, and now he's going to make his point. And he comes up with a really, really shrewd idea. Here it is. It's this. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And on the surface, it looks like this. Hey, look, at, be really shrewd with the stuff that you have, okay? Make as many friends as you possibly can, just like this crooked manager did. He made as many friends as he could so he could land softly when it all came apart. So it appears that Jesus is saying, use your stuff shrewdly, make as many friends as you possibly can, and then when you get to eternity, they'll be there, and they'll welcome you there. Does that make any sense? It's what it looks like on the surface. But it takes grace and mercy and that side of salvation out of it, faith. It's an action thing. Now, if I do this, apparently I'm promised a soft landing in heaven. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. This is really important that we understand this. A number of Jesus' stories that he tells fit into the category of how much more stories. How much more? What does that mean? Well, Jesus will sometimes make a statement that everybody agrees with. He'll make another statement everybody agrees with. And then he'll say, if that first statement is true, how much more is the second one? Give you an example. If you page backwards a couple of pages to Luke chapter 12, or again in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he talks about how it works in God's view of the things in the world. And he points out birds and flowers. And he says, God does a great job, doesn't it? When, like when it comes to flowers, not even Solomon and all of his splendor, Israel's most affluent king, compares to the beauty of a flower. Or birds, they don't store up stuff for themselves. They just live season to season and God provides for them. True statement, birds and flowers matter to God. Don't worry, they do. Second statement, you matter so much more than birds and flowers. True statement? Yes, it is. Therefore, how much more, if he takes care of birds and animals and he loves you more than birds and animals, how much more will he care for you and look after you and provide and care for you? That's a how much more story. Statement one is true. Statement two is true. And because those are two, here's the conclusion. This is the obvious thing that Jesus is pointing to. So as much as it looks like the statement one is, hey, look at people who are people of this world look to seem to be so so shrewd in what they do and they benefit from it and it's really good for them and those who are children of the light, they don't. As much as that looks true, here's what I really admire about that. More than here, I admire the shrewdness of how they use their resources. How much more if they use that same shrewdness to use their resources for the kingdom of God how much more would the fruit of their lives be 
in eternity. Statement one is true. Statement two is true. And as a result, that shrewdness is the way to go when it comes to your possessions and what you have and how you use it. We know about this stuff. Like just from a human point of view. We save money to go to college or send our kids to college. We save money for a car. We save money for a house. We manage our stock portfolio. We invest in it. We, early on, if we're wise, we take a little bit of our money and we put it aside for retirement. That's all shrewd. Way to go. That's a great way. We budget. We plan. We know debt chains us to things, so we try to get reduced debt. We do all those shrewd kinds of things. We save and we protect and we invest and it grows. And that's great. Way to go. That's shrewd. What if we use that same approach, that shrewdness, but with a view to heaven? And rather than just routinely give 10% or whatever we think we're obligated to because we want God's blessing, which isn't shrewd, We rather looked at everything we have because, by the way, we own nothing. 10% of what you have isn't God's. It's all his. He gave it out of his goodness to us. And he doesn't, like there's another story where he says somebody buried it in the ground because he didn't think God could do something great with it. And Jesus is going, no, no, no. You're so shrewd over here. How shrewd could you be? Is it possible? Here's a shrewd idea. Could you take your stuff and turn it into a story? Don't just turn it into more stuff. Look at your stuff shrewdly and go, how do I make this a story in someone's life that changes their forever? I'll give you an example. Do you, uh, have you heard the name Jimmy Darts? If you're a TikTok fan or a YouTube, this guy's a TikTok YouTube sensation. I think currently he has something like 4 million viewers, something like that. Didn't always start that way. He was a problem child when he was growing up, loved to do videos, but he would do raunchy videos and videos that captured people's attention and interest. And then along the way, God does something amazing in his life. He uh, randomly watches a Billy Graham video and says, I think that's real. And he gives his life to Jesus. And, uh, but he doesn't stop making those videos, but he's got a life with Jesus. And then a pastor comes to him one day and goes, how is it that you live for Jesus and you love him and yet you do those kind of raunchy videos? And he goes, right. And he shuts down all his social media accounts, loses all of his followers in an instant because he doesn't want to do that anymore. And he realizes all I do is make videos. That's all I know how to do. But what what could I do What's the shrewdness of this gift that God's given me that I could use for him, that I could use for his fame? And he starts making videos. And they're a fantastic, amazingly shrewd way to use his resources for the king. He will go up to people uh, shopping for, say, a Mother's Day card and say, hey, what card should I get for my mother? And if they'll help him, he'll give them 500 bucks cash. Or he'll be in a grocery line and ask, hey, can I cut in? And if they let him cut in, he'll say, you're so kind, here's $500. And he'll do all over the U.S., he'll go to different places and do those kinds of things. So let me give you a real live example from his channel of something that he's done. This 
is shrewd. I saw you had a bunch of stuff with your cart. I never got a Christmas gift this year. I was seeing if you could surprise me with something that you had for Christmas. I'm going to close my eyes. I know. Ready? Uh, all right. Wait. Oh, my gosh. No way. Thank you. Chocolates and a hat. Yeah. sleep and we're gonna try and raise some more money for you okay so to be shrewd is to understand the situation and make a quick wise good choice because opportunity and time are limited for the benefit of oneself in this case because we're kingdom dwellers for the benefit of Jesus and others Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love others like you love yourself. How shrewd are we when it comes to our resources? God's given them to us. Does that mean we don't vacation and we don't get a car and we don't have a house? No, come on. No. Of course we have those things. And they're part of our journey and they're part of our life. But it's this overarching thing that Jesus teaches us. Be shrewd with what you've given. Don't just give like because you should or to avoid something that you're, you know, you don't want. No, give thoughtfully. Give shrewdly. Don't just like for yourself and what you benefit. That's not kingdom mindedness. Kingdom mindedness is shrewdness. So here's the question. You get to talk amongst your family today or with your life group or with your spouse or friend, or maybe it's just yourself. How could we be shrewd with the resources God's given, understanding the world we're in for the benefit of our King? And in the end, we get blessed so crazy by doing this. What's it mean to be shrewd? You see, Jesus doesn't want your money. If he wanted it, he could take it. It's actually his to start with or never give it to us. No, he wants us to take whatever we get, not just money, our possessions, our abilities, our talents, our, our gifts, and to hold them out to him and go, okay, okay, how do I shrewdly use this for your fame? What would it look like? How creative can we get with this? I think he'll help us with that. 
It is such a wonderful idea. It's so incredible. Turn your stuff into stories. You know what I bet? The first billion or two years in heaven, we're just going to be telling stories about someone who did something for somebody selflessly and Jesus used that and they're there and then the next person is there and it's just this long chain of things that selfless people who were shrewd with their time, talents, and stuff turned into those kinds of stories. Imagine the impact that little old us could have if we were shrewd with what we have. Are you up for that? Yeah. Jesus, your generosity is without comparison. Your goodness to us, the way that you look after us and provide for us, it's just amazing. Even at times where we think it's so lean and we don't know how we're going to pay the bills and we're, we don't know what the next step is, and you find this way to, to provide for us and to take care of us. And so often it comes through somebody else who just holds their stuff loosely and thinks shrewdly. Jesus, it's amazing to think that when you looked at planet Earth and the people you had made, that there was this huge dilemma they faced. You understood the situation. And that is that they had no way back to the Father. They had broken that relationship. And you put your shrewd cap on. And you came up with this stunning, incredibly shrewd idea that you would come into the world and you would give up your life so everyone else could have life. What an incredible idea that is. And that's our DNA. That's who we follow. And so help us. Help us when we have these conversations to come up with creative, shrewd ways that we could use what you've entrusted to us for your fame, Christ, for your fame. Amen.